Hello, hello, my gardening friends, and welcome to episode 22 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elphick, a gardener, freelance writer and garden speaker from Gloucestershire in the UK. I've got a slight change of format starting in this episode. No introductory music. I know you all fast forward anyway, so we're getting straight into the meat and potatoes, but only after I've offered my sincere thanks to my amazing sponsor, Genus Performance Gardenware, who make all of this possible. Genus are based in the beautiful Cotswold countryside where I live. Their range is designed by keen gardeners who understand how the right sort of clothes can make gardening more comfortable and even more enjoyable. As you all know, gardening is about kneeling and bending, stretching and walking and being outdoors in all weathers and all seasons. The clothes gardeners wear have to work for all activities and in all conditions and this is what Genus Gardenware offers. Have a look at what they've got by visiting genus.gs. Silvana de Soissons is my guest today. I've known Silvana for about 12 years when we met at the cookery school, which was time at Southrop in Gloucestershire. Um, and that's the same place, coincidentally, where I met Cathy Slack, who was guest on episode 20. Um, back in those days, Silvana was writing her blog, The Foodie Bugle, which won the Guild of Food Writers New Media Award. And she's now the founder of Farm Soap Co., which sells handmade botanical soaps to shops and hotels across the UK and Europe. Now, I've persuaded Silvana to come along today to talk to us about her new book, Natural Skin Care for All Seasons, and it's a modern guide to growing and making plant-based products. Silvana, welcome. Oh, thank you, Joff. How kind you are. Thank you so much. It's been a long time. Um, I was just saying to you before we started recording, I haven't seen you for a while. I did come and see you in Bath. You had a, a foodie bugle cafe in Bath for a while, didn't you? Yes, I did. We had a grocery store type lifestyle store and tea room. Yes, and I remember you and your lovely painter wife. Yes, but uh, you've uh, up sticks and you've moved down to the uh, Jurassic Coast, I believe. That's it. I now, I'm now in Abbotsbury in the Jurassic Coast here in Dorset. So, um, yes, I always wanted to live by the sea. It's taken me a very, very long time, but here <laughs> I am at last. Oh, good. And that, Abbotsbury, that's home of the subtropical gardens, isn't it? That's it. Joff, you would not believe the climate here. I don't mean to go on, but I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's virtually frost-free. Yeah. You can leave your scented pelargoniums out. You can leave your agapanthus out. Um, I've got a palm tree in my garden. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm sort of semi-aware of that sort of growing environment because uh, my in-laws live on the Scilly Isles, so we're exactly. used to we used to going there. I mean, they've got uh, avocado trees and all sorts in their garden. Um, I'll hasten to add they don't have fruit, but you know the the avocado trees do get through the winters quite quite easily down there. Yes, it's a very protected sort of microclimate, and I thought to myself, if ever there was a place to grow um, uh, Mediterranean herbs and flowers for essential oils, this is it. Yes. I'm, I'm here. I guess the growing season extended. There's always something in the garden to pick. It hasn't shriveled to the ground into a little brown clump, um, so it's probably useful from that point of view. Yes, you get, especially if you cut and come again, cut and come again, you just keep going for many, many months. And if you get started early and, you know, you put your socks on and get, get in there with your early seeding and early germination, you can have a very long harvesting season indeed. You've just got to be conscientious, like I say in the book, and keep harvesting, keep harvesting all the time. Yeah. Now, Silvana, um, I mentioned the Fuji Bugle. You were, you were predominantly a food writer, a, a 
uh, cook yourself. Um, yes. And, and you, you organised uh, several events, didn't you, when we were at the cookery school? We had some fantastic yes. speakers come in. Do you remember those days? Yes, I do. I remember it as if it was yesterday, but it was growing old, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We were children then, weren't we? Yeah. But no, they were fantastic. But obviously there's been a bit of a pivot happen here because you've gone yes. from food well, yes. you're still you're still growing, um, yes. and I'm still sure you're still cooking. But there's been a bit of a pivot, and you're going down this sort of natural skincare route, which is really interesting. How did that come about? Well, for years, I've been seeing a huge shift in the food industry, in that people are, uh, in Britain have become much, much more aware of agriculture, horticulture, organic growing, no-dig gardening, sourcing local ingredients, local food. And then you'll go into the bathroom, uh, either the guest bathroom or the hotel bedroom in a hotel, or you go to a restaurant loo, and the toiletries are just full of chemicals. And they've been shipped in from goodness, goodness knows which country far, far away. And you think, OK, I've just eaten a meal that was grown nine metres from the back kitchen, so <laughs> the head chef tells you. And there was just this disconnect between what people were doing in the food industry and what is happening in the toiletries industry, which 95% of which is still industrially made by just a small number of factories which then white label hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different um be they corporate retailers or hotels bed and breakfast they uh, retail for farm shops um there are industrial skincare manufacturers making all sorts of products for the body and for the home um which are laden with chemicals and um, which, you know, I, I thought to myself, gosh, we have artisan cheese makers and artisan liqueur makers and artisan bread makers. We, we need more artisan skincare makers, don't we? This obviously piqued your interest. And the result is a book that I'm holding up now. Nobody can see, but it's your lovely book that's come out. So when was the, when, when was the moment? There's often a moment when a book ping, comes into your mind. Were, were you down on your hands and knees, weeding in the shrub border, or did somebody come to you and say, Silvana, this is what we need? Well, um, I had a job a few years ago that I was the retail manager at the Newt in Somerset. And um, there, uh, very kindly, the owners send all of their management team to Babylon Store in their South African property, where you would not believe, Joff, um, the acres under plantation for rosemary, lavender, um, bay, thyme, sage, all of these aromatics with which they make scents and essential oils. And then I, at the same time, I went to see a wonderful garden, um, uh, Canestone Mill in, in, near Wimborne in Dorset here, where they also grow, uh, they grow as, um, a wonderful organic plants, roses, vetiver, all the aromatics, Mediterranean aromatics to make perfumes, uh, which they sell in extremely luxurious shops in London. And um, at the same time, the botanical and organic uh, skin, the natural skincare industry was growing exponentially. And I was reading, I was researching, I was going on courses. I, I went on, I think, five soap making courses at Trill Farm in Devon. I was reading every single book, every single blog, and I just thought, this is the way forward. I mean, prior to that, I'd made an awful lot of skincare and toiletries for myself at home. But of course, if you make them commercially to sell, there's all sorts of um, legal 
and manufacturing production issues you have to think about. You can't just make something at home and sell it. It's just like food. If you want to become a commercial food seller, you have to go through all sorts of hoops to get there. But so essentially, the seed germinated in my head and it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And then I thought, you know what? Stop talking about it and just do it. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have did you have to pitch to a publisher? Or did you have did you have friendly publishers that you went to? I I tell you what I did. I put together a synopsis of exactly how I thought the book would look, which isn't too far from what it looks like now. And I pitched it to Pavilion Books. And the editor there, the commissioning editor, she's left now to go to Quadrille. But at the time, she had published in her previous job, The Handmade Apothecary, which became a bestseller. And so when I pitched her my book, she said, yes, this is a growing market. There are more and more people interested in this. And she was very interested in the fact that I don't just show you how to make the formulations. I show you how to grow the plant. So you literally go from the soil to the shelf. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the book, there's obviously several chapters in it. Um, There's an introduction to the skin itself, where you, you, you talk about, I guess, the properties of the skin, don't you? How, how to look after it well. Um, let's keep out the sun in this weather for a start. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, there's, uh, uh, you, you plot the skincare garden, so sort of how to lay out your, your plants within the garden. Choosing skincare plants, plants that will be useful for skincare, um, yes. the natural skincare garden throughout the year, throughout the seasons, and then you yes. go on to formulations and techniques as well. Now, um, as a gardener, obviously choosing skincare plants is really interesting to me because uh, you know that, that's something I can Im- immediately relate to. So, what yes. sort of what sort of plants are we looking at? Um, uh, what sort of plants might we start with as a, as a simple approach to to skincare? Printing a big hardback glossy photographed book is expensive. So they limit the number of pages you're allowed because I could have just gone on and on. <laughs> you know what gardeners are like? We're addicted. We have to have all the plants. We can't just have a few. We want them all. Yeah. And um, she said, no, Silvana, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> So we limited uh, the number, and um, uh, but I went for the big guns, and the big guns in skincare are the plants that are used by all natural skincare formulators for their antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial properties. So really, you're looking. A lot of them are Mediterranean herbs. You've got your rosemary, your sage. Um, you've got the, the uh, um, scented geranium, lavenders, um, uh, and as well as. I would say the medicinal apothecary herbs, like your borage, your chamomile, um, your alchemillas, and so on. Uh, remember that natural skincare products have been made for millennia by the ancient Greeks, the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Romans, the Babylonians, the Phoenicians, the Syrians. Um, ancient civilizations have always been using oils to moisturize your skin, have been using the antimicrobial powers of plants to uh, sanitize and cleanse your skin. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's nothing new. We're really going back to the old days, really, and the old apothecary and Mediterranean plants, essentially. But you would be amazed. Like, for example, this morning, I was harvesting poppy seed heads. 
because in nature, poppy seeds' heads are very, very nearly spherically round. And they're really, really soft. If you um, melt some coconut oil and then put some, co um, some poppy seeds in it, it makes a fantastic skin scrub. And it's got no rough edges. So it doesn't in any way um, uh, hurt your skin. What we're really trying to do is support the skin's natural microbiome. Yes. That's all the friendly bacteria, the friendly fungi, all the things that the, your sweat, your hair, your follicles, your epidermis, everything that Mother Nature has given you from birth, from when you came out the womb, uh, you are set and ready. Your skin is 100% self-cleansing, self-moisturizing, self-healing. You're just supporting it. So you're not using any harsh ingredients, which are stripping away oils or, you know, they say... Um, uh, you know, you're not using anything like in the modern um, uh, arsenal where you've got a cleanser. You, you, the, the big multinational companies like Procter & Gamble and Unilever and Estee Lauder and L'Oreal want you to believe that you need a cleanser, then a toner, then a moisturizer, then a serum, then a hair gel, then a cream for the neck and a cream for the eyes. And, a, you know, you need 1500 products. It's all a big commercial spin, isn't it? You just basically need soap water and an oil yes that's all you need simple simple um, back to the gardening now you you mentioned uh, the newt um and i see now this will all join up in a minute i see you're a big fan of no gardening of course one of i'm sorry of no dig gardening now now one of your relative neighbors down by the newt was charles dowding did you ever yes. get to, did you ever get to visit him yes i did and of course it's life changing and transformational isn't it and of yes. course he makes it look so fantastic it's so beautiful his garden is immaculate and um you know it it, make, it all makes sense when you join up the dots and you think about don't interfere with the skin don't interfere with the soil it really all joins up and um the garden i i did in the book that for the book for the photo shoots is all no dig gardening and you know what it really really works Yes. So if there are any doubters out there, don't don't doubt the system. Join in because it really works. I mean, I was when I was uh, when, when I very first started sort of gardening, getting paid to garden, should I say? Uh, I worked at a Barnsley House, a hotel uh, in Gloucestershire. Yes. Oh, you wow. probably know. Yeah. Yeah, and we created new new vegetable beds there, and um, I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of no dig gardening, but I was very aware that if you dug it, you just brought up seeds and perpetuated yeah. this this growth of seeds across the surface. So I just tended at most to hoe, but very rarely would I dig it. Um, and I think because of that, we, we found we, we had very few weeds to deal with. And also you, you just get so much more biodiversity, don't you? Because you haven't disturbed all the ecosystems and interfered. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And also you, I see in your book, you mentioned several... I'm, I'm doing bunny ears here. Weeds, yeah, <laughs> inverted yes. commas. Weeds are mentioned in your book because um, some of those can be used beneficially on the skin. Yes. Um, you, I mean, there's plantain, chickweed, dock, horsetail, and burdock, for instance. Um, yes. So, do you encourage these, or certainly not discourage them in your garden, or do you go, do you go out into the countryside to collect 
things like that if you need to. I'm very, very lucky in that I am surrounded by amazing countryside, which is really unspoiled, so it's not polluted. Um, and I'm able to forage quite a bit. And I think if you are a home, you, you want to make for your own personal use, you are a homemaker, you, you're going to make batches of botanical skincare products for your own use and for your family, for your baby, um, for your friends to give us gifts and so on, then foraging is the ultimate frugal way of getting something for nothing, isn't it? In the peak of season, like rose hips um, are absolutely fantastic or, you know, nettles. Um, and they're there, they're there for the taking. So I do talk quite a lot about it in the book as well. So it's cultivated plants as well as foraged plants. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. So let's get into the nitty gritty and have a look at some of the formulations and techniques that you suggest. Fine. There's infusions. Tell us about infusions, first of all. Well, infusions are, as you can imagine, like if you're making a herbal tea at home, is a fantastic way of extracting the uh, beneficial properties of the plant using steam and hot water. And so um, I make a number of infusions using a whole host of um, uh, herbs and flowers. And sometimes I mix them all up according to whatever is in season. Remember that a, a cool down infusion is a fantastic toner to help cleanse away any remaining um, makeup or sweat or grime you have on your face before you go to bed. Um, <clears throat> they're excellent for your skin to drink because of course you, uh, one of the big things about looking after your skin is stay hydrated. So drinking herbal teas, using them as a, a, a herbal toner. You can also use them as a spray mist. Let the infusion um, cool down and a lovely, cooling, refreshing spray mist to, uh, to uh, spray on your body or on your pillow, particularly if you have um, the, the more calming herbs, like, for example, lavender or chamomile that help you go to sleep um, because, you know, sleep is one of the main um, be beneficial, be beneficial things about, you know, for, for skin care. What a lot of people don't realize is that you don't need to go to a posh store and spend hundreds of pounds. You can look after your skin in very simple ways, stay hydrated, get lots of sleep, um, be, among, be with nature, um, stay out of the sun, uh, wear long sleeves, wear a big hat. Um, you know, it's, uh, so it, it's, it's really simple, frugal things. And infusions are a really simple way of extracting the properties of a plant. Yes, yeah. Now, there's something that sounded a bit more technical to me not quite as obvious as infusions there was there were hydrosols uh yes <laughs> uh, uh, i think i pronounced that right uh, and, uh, and tinctures so yes. do we split those at hydrosols first what are those Yes, well, with a hydrosol, what you are doing is you are putting, uh, you're using the distillation system. So, you know, you make an essential oil um, uh, by, by distilling uh, the plant. So the raw materials, you could be looking at the leaves or the stems or the berries or the flowers of a plant and you're putting them in a distiller. Um, in the book, I show you how to make a homemade distiller because some of them are, you know, sort of 200, 300 pounds and a lot of people don't want to spend that amount and don't have the space at home. But most people have a two or three tier steamer where you might steam your vegetables um, at home when you're cooking. So I show you in the book how to make a cheap and easy um, distillation unit, if you like. And there you're extracting the properties of the plant, the antioxidant properties, the anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, um, depending on what the plant matter is, by distillation. And so you get the essential oil, which rises to the top, and then you get the water molecules of that were distilled that distilled 
the plant at the bottom and you uh, separate the two and you you put them both into sterile um, bottles. And of course, the hydrosol makes a fantastic, you can even drink hydrosols, they're that pure. Um, And they make fantastic toners as well. And they are also used in other um, skincare um, preparations. You can use them to make creams, you can use them to make lotions. Um, uh, So there are a number of uses. With an enfleurage, what you're doing is you're getting, um, you are extracting the scent of highly, highly, highly scented plants. Uh, And normally I would say they are like the tropical plants, like, you know, the jasmines, the lilies, the the plants that grow in hot weather and have those wonderful scents. You know, those high impact scents. Yes, they'll fill a courtyard, won't they? Yes. Fill a courtyard, yes, and you're trying to extract the scent there primarily. And what you do, therefore, is that you melt um, a carrier oil. It could be jojoba, it could be coconut, it could be almond, and you you um, you place the petals inside the oil, and you leave them there and turn the oil and turn the oil and then leave it overnight. And then the next day, you remove the petals, you strain them out, and you put some more in. And you do that two, three, four, five times, and then the oil bears the scent of those um, plants. So that's yes. a, a method of scent extraction. I see. And then tincture, with the tincture, you're basically using alcohol to extract the properties of the plant. So um, in, in, in the book's case, I think one of the easiest ways to find alcohol for skincare preparations is you know, 100% pure vodka, clean, neat, tidy, um, and then you seep. Um, calendula petals or rose petals um, or lavender flowers in the vodka mixture and uh, to create a tincture which then can be used for a number of other preparations some people have used um, tinctures in the past for herbal remedies Um, you know you drop just a few drops into with your tea or in in water um, or a cold or hot drink and um, or or else again it can be used for you know a number of different um, preparations like bar you know, skin balms, skin butters, and so on. Yes. So they're just a way of extracting uh, via infusion, distillation, via steaming, via enfleurage, hydrosol tincture, using um, uh, getting the, the, the properties of the plant out. Now, the sun shining. I've got a little bit of cloud today. Um, you're constantly on holiday, living on the Jurassic coast, but but we're, we're coming up to the summer holidays. A lot of us are going to be down on the coast on yeah. our holidays. Um, tell me about something I spotted in the book. Your suggestion for a seaweed bath soak. That looked fascinating. Yes. You see, seaweeds have been used forever as a humectant. They draw water into themselves, seaweeds. Um, They are absolutely, they're one of nature's superfoods. And they are absolutely full of minerals and nutrition and um, alginate, which is a very moisturizing substance, which is released in the water once you dry the seaweed. Um, We have to use dried seaweed in uh, botanical formulations because anything that has water in it will attract eventually mold. So I can never put wet seaweed in a preparation. It has to be dried. But if you say mix, um, you could mix, I don't know, Epsom salts, coarse sea salt, fine sea salt, rock salt, Himalayan pink salts, 
with dried seaweed and sprinkle it in, into your bathtub with a few drops of essential oil and soak in it You and rub the seaweed against your skin, you will see how soft and moisturized it is at the end. Um, it's, it's one of the most powerful ingredients I think, and if so if you go to the seaside and you spot seaweed, you are allowed to forage for seaweed that has been brought in by the tide and is left on the pebbles or the sand. Take a little bit home, wash it, and then you can either put it in a muslin cloth. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't like having to clean out the bathtub at the end, then put it all in a, in a muslin cloth and put a, tie it where your tap is so that the hot water runs through it. And you'll see, you'll have an absolutely amazing bath soap. Very, very relaxing. That sounds lovely. So, but while I'm in the bath, I would also like to try one of your Tuzzy Muzzies. Why not? Why, Why not? not? Tell, tell me about Tuzzy Muzzy. Yes, tell me about those. They sound great. Bring out your inner girly. Yes. Um, yes. So Tuzzy Muzzies are Victorian inventions. And in... Uh, Historically, they had quite a sort of um, a not so glamorous appeal because, of course, a lot of people did not bathe in the Victorian era. You know, owning hot water soap and a bathtub was quite upper class. So um, at the side of the roads where particularly, you know, in places like Covent Garden in London and so on, girls would sell posies of, you know, a little bit of rosemary, a little bit of lavender, a little bit of violets, uh, maybe a rose petal or two, which would smell lovely. Um, you know, to hide the scent of if you weren't smelling lovely yourself. Um, so, you know, a, a, a lot of people um, d uh, string um, fresh herbs and flowers like that and, and put them, as I say, wrapped around the bath tap so that the water streams down. Um, so the, the fresh essential oils are released into the water. Yes, yeah. Um, now, your Tuzzy Muzzies were a bit like... Um sort of a, a, a bath bomb I think weren't they if I then got right I, and then you can dry them you see you can hang your tussie mussy upside down and dry it like you would dry flowers and then when it's completely dry you can scrunch it into a mixture of citric acid bicarbonate of soda sea salt and um, your favorite essential oil drops mix it all in add just enough water to create a little paste and make a ball with it and then just put it to one side on a grease poof proof paper and that's your bath bomb oh, that's it oh, fantastic. no chemicals no synthetic fragrances no nothing just uh, mother nature that's brilliant now just one more thing we could try especially as gardeners um and you sort of touched on it um but uh you you do sort of like a hand scrub i think it is with rosemary poppy seeds um and, and there's a sugar scrub as well isn't it can you tell me about that Yes, I mean, there are a number of ingredients that can be used, particularly like if you're a gardener, you've come in, your hands are really, really dirty, your feet are dirty, you need a good scrub, don't you? You need to just gently exfoliate the skin, uh, bring out all the dirt, uh, sanitize your hands. So sea salt is obviously very good. Poppy seeds are very good, as I mentioned earlier, because they are completely spherical, so really, really gentle. And also um, like a raw cane sugar, like a demerara sugar, for example, um, you can use that, um, you can melt it in, say, sheer butter, uh, melt a little bit of sheer butter, coconut oil, uh, an oil that is normally solid at room temperature. And then you can uh, put it in with your um, chosen scrub and a little bit of essential oil to make it smell nice and put it in a kiln the jar. And when it's just a little bit more solid and like a paste, you can rub it all over yourself and then get in the shower, rinse it all off, and you'll see how soft and glowy your skin is. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be the smoothest... <laughs> 
<laughs> Best smelling gardener in Gloucestershire, I think. <laughs> You're going to be totally pampered. Oh. People will look at you and say, oh, my God, Joff, you look 20 years younger. What's <laughs> happened? <laughs> uh, let's move on. One of the one of the last chapters in the book is all about sustainability because again you've mentioned it earlier you take that quite seriously and that relates not only to sort of things like packaging but also to the way we we pick if we're going to forage we've got to be careful about that haven't we? Yes, you've got to be mindful of the fact that um, you know make sure you forage on open public land where you have rights of access you have right to roam uh, because otherwise you would have to seek the land uh, lord's permission. Just take enough for yourself. If you're going to make a little batch of something at home, just take enough for yourself. Don't pull it out by the roots in great big clumps. Um, you know, be mindful of the fact that other uh, that um, you are picking food from uh, um, that is part of the diet of the biodiversity around it. So I just pick small amounts in season and um, I just clip a little bit here and there. And I'm just very, very mindful of no waste. You know, you don't need to take tons home. You won't need tons. Um, of course, I buy in big commercial quantities. I have a forager that goes out and she forages. Um, uh, she has her own company actually foraging seaweed. She has a license from a crown estate um, to collect seaweed. And because I use it in such big quantities, but obviously if you're just making products for yourself, um, you, you are legally allowed to forage. You can take a little bit, but don't waste, obviously, because, um, you know, then you're depriving whichever insects or mammals were going to feed on that particular species. Yes. Yeah. Um, are there any other ways we can be sustainable? I mean, I suppose you as a business, you have to think carefully about packaging and things like that, don't you? Oh, it's endless, Joff. And I can't tell you how expensive it is because, you know, uh, the uh, but the price of carton, because of COVID, Brexit, uh, the war in Ukraine, the fuel crisis, the supply chain crisis and all the crises, the, the price of cartons, my soaked cartons, has doubled. Oh, Yes. So, um, you know, everything is much, much more expensive. You just have to think all the time about waste and about just buying what you need and making sure that everything from the carton to the label to the inks to the outer carton. Uh, I just use craft paper outer car uh, cartons. I use cellulose tape. I never use, there is nothing in my workshop that is plastic. Yes. Yeah. So it can all be recycled. Yes, um, it's either yep. recycled plastic or plastic about to go back into the recycling system. I see. Do you see yes. what I mean? Single uses of, of no, I ne you would never go out and purchase um, single use. And I think it's really important because the people who buy my products, they ask before a lot of hotels, bed and breakfast, uh, big department stores, retailers up and down the country and in Europe, they send you a questionnaire now. You have to become a, an approved supplier. Oh, wow. And in the questionnaire, yeah. like, you know, uh, it's, it's all to do with modern slavery, all to do with sustainability, the environment, energy. They ask loads and loads of questions and you have to answer them uh, because I think people care. They really do genuinely care that you're not just sending everything out in bubble wrap. Uh, that's interesting. I, you've just reminded me. I was. I used to work for the National Trust in, in their head office, and uh, I mean, I'm going back 22 years now. And I, I remember even then we were just starting to think about sustainability, and um, all the products that we used on on any of the National Trust properties had to be FSC approved, so Forest Stewardship Council. So we knew where yes. the wood had come from. It was sustainable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, 
it's nice to hear that it's it's now moved its way throughout all industries. Yes. I mean, remember that the beauty industry, the industrial beauty industry, is still the biggest polluter in the world. Is it? It sent, for example, uh, industrially made sunscreen is one of the biggest killers of the coral reef because sunscreen has so many chemicals in it. Um, Synthetic fragrances have hundreds of chemicals in it, uh, from the parabens to the sulfates to the benzyls, all the petrochemical derivatives within the skincare industry. Remember that they use an awful lot of plastic. And we're not talking, we're we're talking about single use plastic. We're not talking about, oh, please reuse your uh, pump dispenser and we'll send you a refill. So everything I sell, you can have a refill and so on. Uh, um, The skincare industry. So Unilever, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, Procter & Gamble are still the biggest polluters in the world. Wow. That, and that's because of the shampoo and the conditioner and you need the moisturiser and then you need the cream for the foot and then you need the cream for that. You need 58 products in your bathroom and in your kitchen cabinet and that's, I'm afraid, is all going into landfill and it's also going into the waterways and killing fish. Yeah, we're washing it down, down our showers and uh, we think that's the end of it, don't we? But, of course, it's all ending up in those rivers um, yes. and uh, affecting everything. Um yeah, that's a, a hot topic at the moment, along with chicken farming and other things like that, which are also yes. affecting uh, putting nitrates into the rivers, which are uh, affecting weed growth, fish growth, and getting washed down into the sea. So, yes, uh, very aware of that. Um, but you're doing something about it, Sylvania. So let's uh, let's try and encourage a few more people to do that. So your book, just to recap, Natural Skin Care for All Seasons, that's by... Pavilion, which is now owned by HarperCollins. Ah, right. Okay. Um, I assume they can obtain it wherever they normally buy their books. Yes, absolutely. It's everywhere. Waterstones, Amazon, all good bookstores. Yes, that's lovely. And if people want to find out a little bit more about you, have you got a website for your your business? It's a farmsoapco.com. Super. And are you on social media? You always used to be. I'm on Instagram at farmsoapco. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so there we are. That's easy enough to find. Well, look, Savannah, thank you. It's been a brilliant book to read. Um, My daughters are loving it because, I mean, 10 years ago when they were tiny, they'd be in the garden with little pots uh, collecting up, you know, lemon balm and smushing it up and putting water with it and creating their own little little mixtures so they can do it properly in a grown-up manner now. So uh, that's that's, that's very exciting. Thank yes. You. Yeah. No. Really exciting. So, thank you. Thank you for your time. Good luck. I'll let, let you get back to uh, to to whatever you. I can imagine you with big pots stirring away at these big pots in in your but workshop. At this time of year, I'm harvesting like crazy oh. because it is so hot here, and you know you've just got to, like the calendula is just regrowing by the day. So I am very busy harvesting everything. Yes, yeah. Well, thank you for your time. And, thank uh, you, Job. Good luck with the book. Um, I hope, uh, hope sales continue and, uh, and, and that uh, your business uh, thrives because of it. Oh, you're very kind. It was lovely talking to you. That's it. Thank you for listening. Please do take time to visit my sponsor, the amazing Genus Performance Gardenware. They're over at genus.gs. In the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed your garden full of useful herbs and flowers, and your skin soft and blemish-free, just like mine. I'll see you next time.